Welcome to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. This is season two where we meet with fellow deconstructors, fellow journeymen and journeywomen to hear the story of their first experience of God calling to ministry, deconstruction and present journey. Hi everyone, welcome to our next episode here on Urban Mystic. We're still in season two and going through our guests who've joined us in conversation around the institution of religion, uh, their experiences with it, and you know what they see as either running in parallel or coming after it. And so today on this episode, we're joined by a South African guest, one of our, our local friends here uh, by the name of John van der Laar. Uh, John is a ex-Methodist minister who has moved away from the Methodist church and into a very different space. And he's going to share, you'll get to hear his story about you know, how he came into ministry and through the church space and how he has rolled out of that into this new space. So he's got an online community, evofaith.com, if I, if I speak under correction. We'll put it in the show notes, thanks. But you can go and find him there and you can sign up in the online community and come and be a part of what he's doing and explore his his most current uh, adventure and what he's up to. But man, just what a, what a cool conversation with John around his journey. Again, you know, and I'm saying this a couple of times, this thread of picking up on people sharing so vulnerably with us, such a privilege, especially when there's people we don't know, such as absolute strangers willing to trust us with their stories. And John is one of those who just shares really vulnerably about his experience. And then this great joy, it seems, about finally launching this project he's been dreaming of for quite a while. And I love those elements of conversation. He's obviously done a lot of thinking and a lot of prep in terms of where he is now and how he's deconstructed. And he seems to carry that so well in tension. On the one side, there's that. And on the other, there's this, like this shameless curiosity, which is so wonderful. He's just giving it a go and um, really exploring. Uh, and I love that. Uh, it's, it's quite infectious if you just chat with John to see uh, that he's just, you know, the, the, the barriers are wide open and he's just going out and exploring to see what's out there. John has taken on the, the, the challenge of genuine community as facilitated by the, by the internet. And it's just fantastic to hear the, the story that he tells about how that came about for him and about the willingness that he's taken to, to take this leap of faith, you know, to resign from the security of, of his job within a denomination to take this risk to look at something, something new, something other than the institution. And I think especially in this day and age where, you know, people quickly transition from the usual way of doing church to just broadcasting the exact same thing online. It's it's just such uh, it's just so inspiring to find someone that's that's thinking differently. There's actually thinking of 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 the shift from local, you know, gatherings in buildings with liturgies to 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 genuine community online and to genuine shared journeys and relationships. So, yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I'm really looking forward to, to, to hearing what our guests get out of it. Absolutely. So please feel free to look John up online. I think you, what's really cool about that is that you can actually go and join the conversation in some ways. You know, that we had with him, you can go and join him in the online community and you can interact with him personally. And so go check him out at evofaith.com. And you can also find them at sacredize.com. But yeah, let's get into the episode with John van der Laar. Behind every organization and every offering that people are bringing is actually a person. And in this case, that person is you. So we don't just want to stay in, in the abstracted layer where, we, where, we, where we're talking about the changes that are out there. Let's also just engage with you as a person and your journey and your process to get an idea of what's, what's shaped you and what's brought you um, you know, what's contributed in terms of your story to bring you to the place that, where you are. And, and I guess in terms of ministry, that really starts in the early days of, of your early experience of God and your sense of calling. Where did that start for you? And, and how, did that, uh, how did that happen? I mean, I, I grew up in, in a family where church was, was a thing. That was part of what, what we did. Uh, in my early years, um, my folks were, were largely kind of church attenders. Um, and when I was very young, we kind of moved house, moved churches, and I wasn't happy with the new church. So and my folks, I think wisely, didn't force me to, to go to church until I was ready. And uh, around, 
I think when I was probably about, uh, what would you be when you're in grade four? Um, I, I guess, yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. Uh, yeah, I always think sort of, in my mind, it's always kind of 10, 11, so somewhere around there. I, I, um, I, was, I was at Kez in, in Johannesburg, you know, the King Edward's seventh school. And, uh, and, and so the, it was an all boys school, so no young girls around. And I, I'd always, I've always been a person who relates well with, with girls as opposed to my own gender. And, uh, and, with, and, and, and with people of, uh, who don't fit the kind of gender binary, I also find I, I enjoy connecting well with, with, with those people. But so, so here I was, this, this young kid at an all-boys school, and there were no girls around. And I thought, well, where am I going to meet some girls? Uh, and church was the best place that I could think of. So I said to my folks, uh, can, I, can, can I go to church with you on Sunday? And I, I think they were both very excited. If they'd known the reason why, maybe they wouldn't have been. But, but strangely, that started, that started me on a journey. I became part of the youth, part of the, 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 the kind of young people's church. And it kind of led up to a, a point where a few years later, at 14, the Gideons came to my school, did their presentation. I got a Bible. There's a place in the back to sign to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Um, and one night on the way to church, um, I was chatting with my folks who made the decision to sign um, and, and kind of went into that service and the preacher was preaching on you shall be born again and kind of just spoke into where I was and uh, so kind of went up to the, the communion rail after the church was empty and prayed a, I don't even remember what the words were but something kind of what I thought I needed to say in order to uh, offer myself to Christ and 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 had quite a quite an emotional experience uh, out of that. And so that kind of set me, that set me on the path of faith. And uh, within, within six months, um, I, you know, I'd started immediately threw myself into reading Christian biographies and all sorts of Christian books. And I read Brother Andrew's book, God Smuggler, and decided that, hey, I'm going to go and smuggle Bibles into these communist countries. And that was my, that was my call to ministry. You know, at uh, 14, I was telling my minister that I wanted to go smuggle Bibles into into russia and and all respect to him he he, he didn't he didn't laugh me off so <laughs> yes russian girls also beautiful uh, well i wouldn't know <laughs> I, I, i'm married to a zimbabwean so <laughs> I, I don't know about russians we were we were we were doing some online gaming session a, a few weeks ago a friend of mine and i and there was this one russian girl that had joined our team and she sent a shiver down our spine i can tell you that <laughs> it was hilarious oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo I love that we're talking about this on a spirituality podcast that's awesome <laughs> yeah so i mean that was obviously i was still at school i was early years of high school so um, I was kind of, you know, told to sort of hang in there. And, and then in, in, my, in my final year of school in matric, um, was kind of put into the ministry uh, path that the Methodist church had, having grown up as a Methodist. So began as a, as a local, what we would call a local preacher, a lay preacher in matric, started preaching. And, um, you know, I still am amazed by the grace of the people who received me. Uh, back in those years, I, I, I hate to think what they must have endured from me from the pulpit. And I mean, part of my problem was when I was kind of 17 in matric, I looked like I was about 14. So, you know, I don't know how, I, I don't know how they managed. But anyway, they, they were very gracious. And I went straight from there to varsity, did the, my BTH, um, went into a church uh, as my practical year. I was stationed in, in Westville in Durban, uh, found it very hard. Um, as I, uh, I mean, I was, I was then like 21 in my first year of ministry, looked like I was 15. I would pop up at people's homes to, to visit them, which I found really hard. I'm, I'm highly introverted. So the kind of pastoral visitation thing was always very hard for me. I would sit in the car with a cold sweat going to just to get the courage to go knock on the door and had some quite difficult experiences and kind of burnt myself out. And so decided in my second year that, that I, I needed to move out. I was, you know, I'd, Picked up music at that stage, was uh, already at that stage passionate about worship and worship music and really wanted to, 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 to go into music full time in some way. And realized that in the Methodist church back then, they weren't employing music directors or worship directors or any of that sort of stuff. And I still had a, a very kind of conservative, in spite of having gone through the BTH at Rhodes, which was a fairly progressive institution, I, I still had a very conservative evangelical 
um, almost fundamentalist faith. Uh, and so figured I should join a church that, that did that. And so moved kind of into that whole kind of Pentecostal thing, moved back up to Joburg, ended up in, in a church that was kind of very closely related with Rhema and what was then the International Fellowship of Christian Churches, became music director there uh, and was there for, for quite a few years, uh, about three, three and a half years. Yeah, and then, you know, long story short, um, as I said, saw some of the, 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 the real dark side for me. And I'm, I'm very aware that, you know, that can be a very helpful spiritual place for, for some people. For me, it, 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 uh, it became a place that, uh, that I found very difficult to be in. And, uh, and it became increasingly difficult. And increasingly, I think I was also, just in who I was in my own journey, I think was becoming more uh, of an uncomfortable fit for kind of the senior pastor in my church and other leaders in the church. You know, I was the guy in the Pentecostal church who was wanting to teach traditional hymns, and this was before it became cool to to do that. You know, uh, and and kind of asking questions like, why aren't we celebrating Good Friday? Why don't we celebrate Easter? You know, why is why is Easter Sunday no different from any other Sunday in the year? And uh, so it just it just became awkward, and, and so I left, and little by little ended up back in a Methodist church as a as a youth pastor and and kind of lay minister, and ended up. Along the way, I also picked up an honours and, and a master's degree, but that's a whole other story. And, uh, and found my way back into Methodist ministry and got ordained in 1999. Yeah. John, can I ask you a quick question there? I'm just interested because, you know, I'm aware that um, the deconstruction happens over time and there's a, a number of kind of levels and in some ways almost sort of like a concentric circle growth you start in a small circle and you start to move out slowly. So I'm just interested in, in if you can identify one or two things for us without having, you know, I'm not asking you to name names or anything. But as you moved out of that sort of very Pentecostal, you said word of faith earlier, that sort of church, what were the kind of areas if you had to put your finger on? And you've talked about some of the sort of tradition stuff in terms of the, the function on a Sunday morning. But were there certain areas that you already started to see a, a sort of a more progressive growth that you could put a finger on? I, I often think of, of, of almost having two conversions in, in, my, in my journey. The first one is the one I mentioned when I was 14. The, the, the other one would have happened uh, probably when I was around 34, actually, thinking about it now, which would have been kind of almost, a, a, in a sense, a deconversion, although I didn't, I didn't leave faith. I just, I just deconstructed and, and reconstructed a new faith. But uh, as with all conversion experiences, there are obviously steps along the way. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it was a thing that just, that just happened out of the blue. I think it was something that had been building for quite some time. But the, the moment that stands out in my mind is, uh, and I, I mean, I can still see it as clear as day. I was driving home from work uh, in, in, in church. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd obviously been at the office all day and I was, I was heading home and I was stopped at a, at a, at a robot, at a traffic light. And... Out of, blue, out of the blue, and I, I have no idea where it came from. It's not like I've been thinking about it. But suddenly this thought came to my mind. And, and, and remember now, I'm still pretty much in this, this fairly evangelical faith. My reading up to that point had been people like John Wimber, for example. I'd read Power Healing and Power Evangelism and all of those books. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of healing books. I was very into the kind of healing ministry thing. So a lot of that sort of stuff was, was happening. Um, and, and, and yeah, so, and, and I was reading, I think maybe some of the stuff that was starting to lay foundations that led me there was, I'd been reading a lot of Eugene Peterson and some of, some of his stuff, which I wouldn't call progressive necessarily, but certainly not kind of charismatic evangelical theology. But anyway, so here I am sitting at this, sitting at this traffic lights, um, waiting for it to change so I could continue driving. And out of the blue, into my head, pops this thought that my whole life I've been taught that if you don't accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you're going to hell. My whole life, I've also been taught that the road is narrow, the gate is narrow, you know, and, and the road to hell is wide, and, and, and that more people are going to hell than are going to heaven. Uh, and that, that, you know, those that are God's chosen that are going to heaven are the small elect group of faithful. 
And I'm sitting there going, now hang on one second. In, in one of Peter's letters, he very clearly declares that God wants nobody to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so I'm sitting there going, that's what God wants. Now, I've been told that that's not what's happening, that more people are going to hell. Now, I'm still imagining this cosmic battle between God on the one side and the devil on the other side. And I'm going, the devil does want people to go to hell. God doesn't want people to go to hell. More people are going to hell than going to heaven. Who's winning? It's not, it's not God, you know? And in that moment, I was like, I, there's no way I can believe this. This just makes no sense. You know, if God is God, this cannot be the truth. And, and, and literally in a second, my entire house of cards comes crashing down around me. And I, I, I entered into a, probably a two-year spiritual and identity crisis because, you know, coming to faith at, at, at about 14 years old, faith was an integral part of my identity. Ministry was an integral part of my identity. And here I am in ministry getting up to preach every Sunday not really sure what I believe myself anymore. And, and in that experience, the one thing I said to myself was having got to this place and, and having seen what this question can do and recognizing in that moment, the questions I hadn't been asking because I was too afraid of what would happen if I asked them. I, I, I said to myself in that moment, no question is off the table. And recognizing that it may well have meant that I would lose everything. I would lose my faith. I would lose my job. You know, I'd lose my income. I, I could end up with, with nothing. But I, I just knew that if my faith couldn't handle my questions, it was, it was worthless anyway. So I gave myself permission to ask whatever question came. And, and that meant that was, it was a massive deconstruction. You know, anything, anything that I could not sustain and could not say with integrity and, uh, and authenticity got thrown out for me. And, and for a long time, um, I, I really had some questions. I tried as best I could in that time to make sure that I didn't ever preach something that I was not comfortable saying or that I didn't actually feel like I could believe. So, I mean, I wasn't just preaching what people wanted to hear while in the background I was going, I don't believe a word of this. I, I was trying very hard to, to, to kind of retain some sort of, uh, integrity in my preaching as best I could, which was hard. It, it made preaching, a, it was a really difficult time of preaching for me. But it, 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 it took about two years. And, and for me, the bedrock was, was Jesus Christ. It, it, in the sense that I became convinced and very happy with, with the sense that Jesus was a historical figure. You know, I, I really believe the scholarship supports the fact that there was a man called Jesus uh, and that the, 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 the records around his life and his death are, are as accurate as, as any history of the time could be. Uh, so, that, so, you know, I was satisfied with that. And then having gone, okay, so, so I can accept that there was a Jesus. Let's look at the stuff around him. And I was reading at that stage people who, who really helped me. Annie Dillard was a wonderful resource at that stage. Matthew Fox was amazing. Uh, I encountered Marcus Borg, John Dominic Crossan from, you know, the Jesus Seminars people. Uh, yeah, all of those kinds of guys. Richard Raw came on the radar. Anne Lamott came on the radar for me. So I, I was reading a lot of that stuff and, and just drinking that stuff in. I mean, inhaling it, just going through book after book after book. And they really helped me reconstruct a faith where I was very comfortable with the message of Jesus. And it was then that I really began to dive into, Brian McLaren was also on the list then, and of course, his book, The Secret Message of Jesus, which came a few years later. But that thinking was already in some of his earlier writings, and, and that was starting to speak to me around the whole idea of, of the reign of God as the central message of Jesus, and trying to unpack what that meant for me. And so that's where, where my faith kind of got reconstructed, was around this idea of the, the reign of God, and Jesus as, as the, 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 the initial preacher of that reign, drawing on all the Old Testament heritage behind, behind that term. And Jesus is the one who modeled that in his own life. And so that, that became the bedrock for me. That became the foundation. And from there, I started to build my faith back up in a very different way from what it had been before. But in a way that for me was much more liberating, much more life-giving. And, and is, uh, this is the, the portion of, of moving back into Methodist, the sort of the Methodist fold in ministry there, yeah. John. 
yeah. you're describing. Yeah, I mean, well, that this this all happened once I was already back in the Methodist fold. Um, the the kind of leaving Pentecostalism for me was an interesting experience. Maybe another kind of mini conversion. Uh, as as worship director, my job obviously we, the church I was part of had two services on a Sunday. My job was to prepare the worship and train the musicians. And I used to take a I, I would take a Thursday off and and well not off I would take a Thursday to go and pray and prepare the worship for the two Sunday services. And and this one particular Thursday. Uh, you know, who knows where these, these thoughts come from, but I, I had a sense that God, as I understood God then, was calling me to lead the church into a, into a time of confession and repentance and soul searching and kind of just, just doing some work uh, with God around, around who we were. And so I prepared a fairly meditative, fairly quiet worship time, both for the morning and the evening. Um, but the morning was, was the one that particularly struck me. So uh, Sunday came around, led the worship. After the service, one of the leaders came up to me. And, uh, and he said to me, John, you really missed the boat. That, this, that was, I don't know what happened, but that, that was not helpful. It wasn't good. You, you just, you blew it and you get, you get your act together, you know. Um, and this was after spending the, the day in prayer, you know, doing this. So, so the following week, and it's the only time I've ever deliberately done this. Uh, the following week, when I kind of went into my prayer space, I prayed a very short prayer, which was basically, God, I need to know something. And in order to know that, I need to not talk to you. So I'm, I'm, I'm not praying. I'm not asking you for any guidance. I'm doing this on my own. I want to see what happens. And I, and I, just, I just pulled out the musical tricks I knew you know, how, how to generate energy and music, rhythmically, key changes, you know, all that stuff. I just pulled out all my, my musical bag of tricks, put together a worship set that, that uh, I knew would be musically great. And I wanted to see if people could tell the difference between worship that I led out of a place of deep prayer and worship that I led out of manipulating them with music, you know. The next Sunday comes around, we lead the worship. People are sta literally standing. We were, we were in an old Dutch Reformed church that, at that stage. People were literally standing on the pews in the worship, shouting, hands raised, singing, going absolutely nuts. End of the service, the same leader comes up to me. He says, John, whatever you did this week, keep doing it. That was absolutely anointed. It was wonderful. It was marvelous. And, and the following week, I handed in my resignation because I was like, they don't know the difference. They, 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 they don't know the difference. And so how, what is the authenticity here? What, what are they genuinely, they're not, they're clearly not asking me to lead them into a place where they can do business with God. They want to feel good on a Sunday. And I, I, I hadn't signed up for that. That was not who I wanted to be. That was not what I believed worship was about. So having handed in my resignation, then it was a question of well, where do we go now? And, and, uh, and so, you know, it was a question then of I could go anywhere. And, 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 and so, you know, for about the next year or so, um, we, we went church shopping and uh, walked out of many church services halfway through because we just couldn't handle what was happening. Found a few that, that kind of felt like they might work for us. And then I recorded an album, uh, my, my first album, which doesn't see the light of day anymore, but uh, was a good experience for me in that time and my parents gave one to their minister who was a methodist minister and he listened to it liked it and invited me to come in as youth pastor to help develop the worship in their methodist church and so i i ended up working there and from there ended up finding my way back into methodist ministry so earlier you mentioned that um that you saw so many people leave church and that was something that 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 you didn't really just want to watch happen was was that was that really the signal to you that that this business of doing church the way we do it is you know that there's that that it's not quite on the right track yeah i think I, you know for me I, I i've always been drawn to the fringes so you know theologically my thoughts has often gone into places that is that have made that's made church people uncomfortable um and yet when i've connected with people I mean, one of my proudest moments, for example, was a few years ago, I ended up in a debate uh, in the comments on my blog with a guy who was a, a, a self-proclaimed atheist. And, uh, and we were chatting around the existence of God and, and, and that sort of stuff. And, and long conversation, I mean, it's probably one of the longest conversation in the blog comment 
section that I've ever I've ever had. And the end of the conversation was this guy said to me, you know what, John, I think you and I are not that far apart from each other. And I, I thought, that's so cool. You know, here's a guy who claims to not have faith. I have faith. And yet he feels comfortable to say, actually, we're, we're pretty close to each other. Now, I, I recognize that there may be some Christians that are horrified at the thought that I'd be pleased about that. But for me, it, for me, it was a great moment. And, you know, I, I, I've always been drawn to those, those people, people asking questions, people expressing faith differently, uh, people who... Uh, for whatever reason, find the traditional mainstream way of doing spirituality difficult or, or impossible for them. So, you know, even when I was in church, I was always, I mean, when I went, you know, just after this time of, of kind of deconstructing and reconstructing my faith, um, I, I asked to be allowed to start a midweek service uh, at, at, at my church. And uh, the, the thinking was, even then already, you know, we're talking now is, is kind of, 2000, 2001, early, early 2000s, so 20 years ago, uh, already then there's this trend of people, particularly young people, are leaving church. And, and what do we do? So, so I, I wanted to start a service that was completely different. We, used, we held it on a Friday night. Uh, we had hot dogs for people, and there were three rules. Kid-friendly, it had to be family-friendly, kid-friendly. Service had to be finished in time for people to go to Friday night movies if they wanted to. Uh, sermons had to be short. Sorry, four rules. Sermons had to be short. And then the fourth rule was make it as creative as we could. So we, we had drama. We had dance. We had music. We played videos. We put artwork up on screen. We, and this is before PowerPoint. This is before data projectors were common in churches. This is you know, before the kind of Willow Creek thing had, had hit the mainstream and people were emulating that sort of stuff. Um, so we're doing all of this kind of stuff, and we, we, we built up what, what in that church was a fairly small congregation. It was about 70, 80 people were coming on a Friday night, uh, which is bigger than some churches I know. And, and, and there was a wonderful vibe. The, the only problem was having to do that on a Friday and then still run. We, we had multiple services on a Sunday. Uh, it, was, it was burning my team out. And, and in the end, we had to prioritize which way we went. And, and we, you know, obviously, the church wanted to prioritize Sunday. But... But for me, that was an experiment that taught me a lot about what can happen when you create, and, and the, the kind of byline of that service was, was alternative faith. Uh, and it was really about creating an alternative space for people to do spirituality. And, and having seen that experience, I, I, I got quite, quite passionate about this, this idea of creating an alternative space for people to journey together and do spirituality together that's outside of, of mainstream church culture. You know, if I go from then to now, it, it, it took me such a long time to kind of get my head around, well, what would this really look like? What, how would we do this? And I, I was still very much working within a traditional institutional church paradigm. And, and so trying to work out how to do it in the church and experimenting with different things over a period of about 20, 10 years, I guess, until I finally got to the point where I was realizing, you know, that this probably isn't going to happen for people who've left church, you know, like for them, the jury is out in terms of church. So they've decided they've left. It's going to take a hang of a lot to get them back. So you really need to be looking at doing something that's separate from mainstream church. And of course, you know, you go back 10 years, uh, that's when things are starting to happen on the internet. Things are start, you know, new, new technologies have social media is just beginning you know, all of those kinds of things are happening. And I'm, I'm really starting to see people thrive in that space, you know, move in that space. You know, online community is beginning to, to happen in its first, you know, rudimentary forms. And, and I'm starting to go, you know, there's got to be something here that can, that can cater to these people. Because all the research that I'm seeing and, and, and have seen over the last 20 years is that People aren't leaving the church because they lose faith. They still have faith. They, they, they're leaving church because they become disillusioned with the way church does faith. And they're wanting a new way to do their faith that, that, that frees them of, of the baggage and, and some of the pain that they've experienced in, in, tra in traditional church. And I, 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 mean, I think that still remains true. 
Um, and so, yeah, that, that's, that's been a lot of, of that journey is, is for me kind of, and I mean, even when I was in the church, I, I was always the guy who was asking questions about how can we do this differently? You know, I've, I've, I've had a long struggle with the way the church is funded. You know, I've watched more and more people are uncomfortable to, to give money to the church to pay salaries or maintain buildings. They, they want to give the money directly to where the need is, to the poor, to creation care, you know, to charities that they believe in and are committed to. You know, very few churches, especially those that deal authentically with their finances, are, are, are not struggling financially. I mean, I mean, you know, I traveled the country for, for, for about 10 years doing workshops across the nomination, across the country, almost every church, even some of the churches that look like they're thriving and have lots of money from the outside, all of them are struggling financially. There are very few that aren't. And it's been like that for a very long time. And, and a lot of our churches now are unsustainable in the economy of today. You can't, you used to be able to, 100 people in a congregation could pay for a minister and a secretary and maintain the building and the grounds. Uh, that's not possible anymore. You know, 100 people can't pay a minister's salary anymore, let alone look after a 200-year-old building or whatever. So, you know, I, all of those questions have come for me that there's got to be a different way. The, the world has moved on. The world is doing things so differently. What happens in church hasn't changed in hundreds of years. You know, maybe the style of music has changed, but that's about it. Everything else we do is, is pretty much with, you know, if you take away the cosmetic changes, the essence of what we do is no different now than it's been for, for, for hundreds, thousands of years. And, and I'm not knocking that. I mean, I believe in, in the power of tradition. I, I hate it when church, churches make it look like Christianity is a 20-year-old religion. You know, it, I, I, I believe in that, that you know, 2,000-year heritage and, and the 5,000 years of Judaism before that. And, you know, I believe in that heritage. But, but at the same time, I also believe that the medium needs to change and, and, and remain connected with where people are at. And, and there's a way of marrying that, that heritage with also an innovation and a creativity. And, you know, one of my favorite parables of Jesus is literally like one sentence. The kingdom of God is like a man who went to his chest and drew out treasures old and new. Uh, you know, I often think of that. And so that, that's kind of my, my own kind of framework for this thing. And, but but uh, there's been this concern around you know, while I don't want church to look like it's only a 20-year-old religion, I also don't want, you know, Christianity or, or spirituality to look like it died 2,000 years ago and, and nobody's recognized that it needs to be buried yet, you know. There, there needs to be both. And, and, and I, haven't, I haven't seen that, even in the churches that are supposedly hip and happening. So that, that's, that, that's been the, the, the kind of conversation, the debate I've been having with myself for probably about 10 years. Has that been a large part of the birthing of the Evo faith community now, John? And perhaps you can tell us a little bit of the sort of the move out of church as much as you want to in terms of the actual sort of leaving and then into the birthing of this new, this new infinite way? So I think that, you know, there have been a, a few things that, that obviously, you know, everything I've been saying, these questions I've had around how church is done, the way I've seen church functioning, these things have all kind of been simmering in me and I've been trying to find kind of answers to my questions um, or responses maybe is the better word to my questions. And so I've been doing a lot of reading, watching trends in the church worldwide, seeing what's happening. What are the, the dominant voices in the church? And, and it's, it's really, from, if I start with a personal level, I've struggled with the voices that have become the dominant voices in global Christianity. I, I, have, I have felt like Christianity has been kind of abducted by a very limited, narrow brand of Christian faith that, that has a, a massive global marketing machine and that has influenced Christianity around the world very strongly, with, with, with obviously some, some large notable exceptions, but certainly in the circles that I've moved in. And, and so, you know, for me, I was going, I'm watching people leave because they can't buy into that theology, they can't buy into that way of doing church. Part of that was reading out of the evangelical movement, a book called Unchristian by Gabe Lyons and, and uh, David Kinnaman, which did research around this group of people, the nuns who were leaving the church and young people who were still in the church, asking for their impression of the church. And the title of the book is the, the summary of that answer. And, and young people are saying the church is unchristian. The church no longer represents the message and mission of Christ. 
reading reading that for me was 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 huge. I was like, yes, I absolutely agree, and and this is what people are saying. So I was going, well, well, how do we then speak to these people? Then I started coming across people like Alan de Botton, who runs the School of Life in the UK. He wrote a book called Religion for Atheists, which was a fascinating book for me. And he spoke about how you know when when people throw God out, they often throw out a lot of the stuff that comes with God, like church. And he was saying, but in the process of doing that, we've lost a lot. And so what have we lost? How can we reclaim that without taking all the kind of God baggage with it? And the things he speaks about are things like ritual, symbol, art, rhetoric, uh, community. You know, these are the kinds of things that, that he says we're, we're missing. And I'm going, well, absolutely. Those are the things that I think are the most valuable in church. And here he's talking about ritual. He's talking about community. He's talking about, you know, using the arts. He's all of that stuff. And, and I'm watching the church throw ritual out the window and be increasingly disparaging about it. I'm watching the church dumb the arts down to where it's very difficult to even refer to it as art anymore. Uh, you know, I'm watching all of this stuff happening. I'm going, here is this, this group of people crying out for what the church should have in spades that identifies the church and should give the church value in their eyes. And the church is saying, oh, we don't want that anymore. We're th we're, and we're throwing that out, exactly what people are crying out for. And that disconnect was for me just, you know, how can this be? So, you know, I began to say, okay, so, so what am I struggling with? I'm struggling with, obviously, theological issues, and my own theological journey has been into a highly progressive, inclusive, uh, and, and I, I hesitate to say it because it may be misunderstood, but almost a kind of Christian materialist sort of framework which is not saying I deny the existence of spirit. I define that. So that's happening. What's happening for me is I'm watching the church get stuck in what, what I feel like is, is, a, is a dead end with, with, with no real openness to creativity and newness and, and new ways of doing church. Uh, I'm watching them talk difference, but really rearranging the furniture and nothing's actually changing. Then I'm also watching people who are leaving the church desperate for community and for guidance in their spiritual journey and, and for a way to do spirituality with others, but in a way that feels authentic and where they don't have to check their brain at the door. I'm watching science become, I hesitate to say it in this way, but more spiritual in many ways. I'm, I'm, I'm reading more and more scientists who are, who are finding science is leading them into a place of spirituality which is very different from the kind of very conservative fundamental versions of, of all religions, not just Christianity, but is nevertheless very rich and, and mysterious and transcendent and beautiful. So I'm watching that happen. And then I'm watching how, it, you know, churches, you have to meet when they say at their venue, bound by geography, we've got to be in this place, bound by time, it's got to be at this time. And I'm watching how the world is working 24-7, and people are working on Sundays, people, particularly in, in places like Africa, struggling to get transport to get to church. Their geography is, is becoming a problem. People are traveling globally and having to leave a community where often they've grown up in and they have rich connections and then try and find another faith community in the new country where they are. And they're struggling to do that and they're not finding it. And I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm going, you know, we're talking about this transcendent experience of faith. Surely there's a way to do that that's not bound by time, that's not bound by space. And the internet offers that. So I'm wrestling with all these questions. Into that, a very good friend of mine who's also a Methodist minister, we did a lot of work together and workshops and we played music together. He was a few years younger than me, wonderful guy. You may have heard the name Barry Marshall. Also, you know, kind of in some ways on the fringes of faith, quite a provocative guy, spoke his mind you know, ask difficult questions, very inclusive, very welcoming. Uh, in the middle of this whole journey I'm on, Barry goes kayaking off the coast of PE, gets caught in a storm overnight, he drowns, he dies in his 30s. And, uh, and I'm, I'm traveling at the time, so I'm not at home with my wife who knew Barry, I'm not there with my kids, with people who could understand my grief, I'm staying with friends who didn't know him, and they can understand my grief academically, but they can't share it with me. And I'm finding 
where am I, where am I sharing my grief? Where am I experiencing support? It's on Twitter and on Facebook. That's where people are sharing the messages. That's where we're, we're waiting for the, the Coast Guard to find Barry and find out if he's alive. And, and we're following the blow by blow as they find his kayak and they kind of, you know, pick him up. That's where, you know, we're sharing our memories of him together. That's where I'm, I'm weeping in my room on my own, but while I'm reading their posts. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, people have been telling me that you can't do community online, but here I'm experiencing the most authentic community, community I've probably experienced in my life. And it's all online. I'm completely alone. And yet I'm so deeply connected with these people. And in, in that moment, something shifted in, in my mind and I went, what would it take if we could begin to build a community online? Not limited by time, not limited by space. It's, it's online. And so I started to work out how would this happen, started to ask those questions, started to explore it in, in different ways. And uh, it was really only end of 2019, 2018, uh, that I, I started, uh, sorry, end of 2018 into 2019, that I, I started getting a glimpse of what it could look like and started trying to paint a picture. Um, and I think the thing that for me had always been the stumbling block, and I guess as a liturgist, that, that it's natural that it would be worship, it would be liturgy. That was the thing I was going, how do you do that online? How do you, that, how do, you do that together? And part of my problem with that is that everything I could see online at that stage was churches taking their offline services and streaming them online. And, the, and, and, and for people who are watching online, they're merely spectators. They're not included at all. And while lots of churches were getting lots of people watching, my question was, we're not doing authentic community here. And, and even when there are small groups and whatever developed alongside that, it, it felt like worship online needs to be different. You know, there's so many elements here. Then things like TED Talks are happening and I'm starting to watch TED Talks and I'm going, my word, this is like preaching online. You know, how could this work? And oddly enough, uh, TED, TED Talks often working better than the preaching online. Well, exactly. Exactly. And, and, what, and one of the reasons I'm noticing is because they're so much shorter. You know, they're quick, they're punchy, they're to the point. You know, you can watch a, a, a TED Talk in a, in a tea break quite easily, get back to work. You know, I'm sitting there going, okay, so an hour and a half service streaming online, probably not the best way to go about doing this. A 45-minute sermon, maybe not the best way to do this. So started then working it out and it was really, and I think it's still in motion. I think I'm still exploring and experimenting and some of the ideas in my head, I haven't been able to implement yet, but for me beginning to get a sense of how this maybe could work. And so started to imagine it and sort of middle of last year, started working with possible names, finally hit on the Evo Faith name, kind of bought the, bought the domain name, started planning, got my web designer together and set it for launch on what for me was a significant Sunday was Advent Sunday 2019, which I think happened to be the 1st of December, the 2nd of December last year. And, uh, and, and that's when it launched. And it launched initially just with the website, with the plan to sort of start to build some awareness and a bit of community through the mailing list on the website and on the blog. And my goal was to, to hit um, 100 subscribers on the, on the mailing list. And at that point, to then launch the online community. And, uh, and we hit 100 subscribers on the mailing list uh, in January. And so I decided to, to start working towards launching the community. And again, another significant day for me was to do it at the beginning of Lent on Ash Wednesday. And so Evo Faith Tribe was launched on Ash Wednesday. And our, our first kind of worship series in the tribe was interestingly called How, How to Be Human When Life Sucks. And, and no sooner had we launched than the pandemic hit. And, and lock stuff started, lockdown started happening and those kinds of things happened, which for me was just the timing of that was, was kind of a bit, a bit mind-blowing. You know, when you, when you talk about things like authentic community online, one of the, one of the things that I've, I've really experienced over the last several years is that my, my predominant community is online. I do a lot more relating to people and a lot closer with a lot more genuine talks about where we're at in life, where we're going. You know, there's a lot more like relational support and connection and, and real deep connection that takes place. And for me over the last few years, it has completely superseded face-to-face -face connections in that way. And so although I still, I still have those, you know, I, I still do the, the, the meeting people for coffee and connecting one-on-one. -on -one and, and there's, there's definitely a, a dimension to in-person meeting that, that, that I think uh, carries like a, a quality and a weight to it that's just, that is fantastic. 
but this this old myth of of you can't do community online and that internet communities are not real communities i think i think really needs to be put to rest especially when churches that criticize that they contrast their as you say ge- ge- geographically and time bound services they put that forward as though that is genuine community it is genuine fellowship and of course it isn't it's it's however many number of people coming in sitting down facing someone at a stage who speaks to them you know they're, they're receptive rather than participatory and then where any community might happen is after that or in and around that but the primary activity of doing church is not community and so what i find interesting as well is that with things like the pandemic and and others that that as you say what churches are doing is they're just streaming what they would do offline online and it's as unrelational there's no community there's no participation in the same way and yet they still feel like they're doing they're doing the same thing it's really refreshing to to hear some of the thoughts around what what motivated you you know or at least some of the thoughts that have gone into your thinking around this just tell us a bit more what what is happening with eva faith and how do you see it as a bit of a solution well how do you see it as being a healthy solution to what is presently happening i think especially for people who are leaving church because they're wanting to more authentically pursue their spirituality and they're wanting to more authentically engage in community. Yeah, obviously it's still the Everfaith tribe is is still very young. Uh, we're, you know, we're not even six months old yet, and and that would mean you know I, I I've had to do a lot of work and I'm still busy. I, I feel like I'm still very much a beginner in terms of facilitating online community. So you join the Everfaith community now. It's not going to be, uh, you know, a community. Certainly not as I would imagine it. Not yet. Uh, so it, it has moments. It has wonderful moments of conversation and and commenting and people engaging with each other. And then and then it has moments where it doesn't. And and a lot of the energy at the moment comes from me as the founder, which I, I'm learning is is right for where we are in in the stage in the, in the stage of development that we're in. But the, the, there obviously is work that I'm needing to do to, to begin to transition that into more of a community feel. And, and it's, um, community always takes time to, to develop. You know, you don't, you don't develop authentic community overnight. So it takes time. And, and the other thing that's quite interesting is, is a lot of the people who are in Evo Faith at the moment are there because they, they, they've connected with me in, in some way in the past. And so they know me which means that a lot of them come out of my church connections. So they, there are a lot of church people there. There are a lot of clergy people in the tribe at the moment. We, we're, we're up at about 60 people, uh, 60 members, which I think is not too bad for, for around six months. You know, there are a few people who are kind of outside of the, the sort of Christian fold in their thinking. But, you know, I'm very aware that the people, the kind of target market, if you want to call it that, are, it's not people necessarily of other faiths or other religions, although they're welcome. But the tribe is geared to people who come out of a Christian background, Christian tradition, find church unhelpful, but still want a way to practice their, their following of Jesus in an authentic way. So I'm very intentional and unashamed about the fact that, that we use Christian mythology, Christian metaphors, Christian sacred texts, you know, a lot of that kind of thing. Um, and I'm sort of trying to to measure how that's going and where I can push the boundaries and where we can try some some extra stuff. And 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 that's you know it's all still very much in that experimental stage. But having having said that, I think for me, you know, what I envisage is kind of the online online space being the hub. So you know, the, it it would be spiritual community in in any in the way any other spiritual community functions. So there's there's spiritual practice. Prayer, worship, whatever you want to call it, there, there, there needs to be something around that and a, and, a, and a kind of guidance in spiritual practice that's offered. Then there needs to be some sense of of education, training, development, and that's that's still being developed within the Evo Faith community. Uh, there needs to be some sense of of reaching out to others, um, and I, I really am not big on on evangelism as traditionally understood. But I am big on people sharing the values and priorities of the reign of God, which are essentially values of justice, uh, the common good, uh, caring for the poor, caring for the planet, those kinds of values. I am keen for people to share those values. And and, uh, at this stage, not yet at a place where we're doing that intentionally through the Evo Faith tribe. 
although I suspect many of the members of the tribe do that in, on their own steam at this stage. Um, and, then, and then obviously making a contribution in some way. So, you know, and I'm not talking of financial contribution, I'm talking about, not to the tribe anyway, I'm talking about, you know, people finding a cause that they want to support or, you know, getting out there and, and doing some kind of everyday justice work that they can do. And, and, and then obviously small groups, which we've kind of had hints of in the, in the faith and, and we're starting to develop but in, in the Eva faith, but I think it's still a bit early for that to develop effectively. But I, I imagine people, Eva faith being an online space that overflows into people's offline lives. And, and for some of those people, that would mean that they have an offline small group that engages online with the Evo Faith community and then lives that out together, either a family or a group of friends who might meet once a week, go through our, our worship is done by, by a video, which is downloadable, so it's on demand. We, we have interactive elements built into that video. I think we could maybe even do that better, and I'm exploring ways to do that, but we try to make it fairly interactive as much as we can. And so people could literally download the video, watch it together, interact with it together, chat with each other about it, their, their questions and exercises to work with, hold each other accountable to living that out in their week. And then as a group decide, we're going to make an impact on our world, bring some kindness and justice into the world, you know, by maybe working in a soup kitchen once a week, going to visit prisoners, you know, whatever it might, may be, you know, contributing to caring for unmarried mothers or you know whatever the, 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 their, their, their passion might be so i'm sort of hoping that that evo faith is going to get there but i think it's a way down the line before before that starts to happen but that's the that's the vision for me is that it's an online meeting space so literally you know i could facilitate the community from anywhere in the world people could be part of the community and are part of the community from all over the world i know we have people in the us in canada in the uk Eastern Europe, we have we have at least one person as part of the tribe. I think we have a few from kind of Australasia, New Zealand, that sort of space. Um, so for me, literally, you know, you can engage with the tribe, be part of that community from anywhere in the world, um, and then you can take what's happening in this community and and live it out in your daily life. So I don't know if that's answering your question, but that that's that's the picture, and so that's that's what's in development for me and. You know, every, every day as I'm engaging with the tribe, I have this picture in the back of my mind. And a lot of the time I'm asking the question of, you know, what do I need to do to take us just another small step in the direction of, of that picture?